Welcome to twoquestions.tv. With me today is Michael Welp, and we're talking about diversity and inclusion. Twoquestions.tv. Brief questions, deep knowledge for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business owners. Welcome to twoquestions.tv. I'm Susan Barancini-Mo. Joining me today is Michael Welp, the co-founder of White Men as Full Diversity Partners. For more than two decades, he's worked extensively with Fortune 500 company leadership to build a culture where diversity flourishes and inclusion is the order of the day. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the show. Hi, Susan. Thanks for having me. Okay, we're going to do something unusual today. We're going to start with a bonus question because <laughs> um, I only am supposed to use two questions, but I'm known to go rogue. So um, I want to start out with a bonus question that is this. Why white men? What's the story? Tell me, this is, and, yeah. and this is the first time we've really dipped our toe into what I, I consider to be kind of a difficult topic. So why white yeah. men? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Iowa. I worked in Minnesota for many years. And it wasn't until I moved out to Washington, D.C. that I actually started learning a lot about race issues, gender issues, sexual orientation, and I came to see myself that I'm part of a white male group. And I, uh, that was right when Nelson Mandela was released from prison. And so I went over to South Africa for a year and I facilitated interracial team building for mining groups, banks, and pharmaceutical companies as part of what I was doing as an outward bound instructor, taking people on wilderness trips. And at first I connected with the people of color in South Africa, all the different tribal groups who would be spontaneous and dance around the campfire. And over time I'm like, you know, I have a lot in common with these white guys. They're good guys, one-on-one, -on -one, and yet part of the system where they're in control and others are conforming to their system that's oppressive. And I realized I felt compelled there, Susan, to come back to the US and work with people like me, other white guys. So I came back and I studied and did a dissertation about how do white men learn about diversity. And I studied the learning journeys of, of men who worked full time and advocated diversity. And I found they learned everything from women and people of color. And I was presenting the results of that to this conference. And this black woman stood up and she said, if that's the pathway to diversity for white men that I have to teach you all, I'm exhausted. I don't have the energy to educate you all. And, you know, another colleague of mine, Bill Proudman, and I realized, you know, that's true. We need to create a more sustainable process that is about white men engaging other white men. And instead of when you look at race, for example, often we're talking about people of color and examining that. And when we're looking at gender issues, we're looking at women and talking about women. And we often get those groups to lead diversity initiatives and one of the implications is white men become unexamined and don't think diversity is about us and we don't think we have anything to offer either. So by putting us in a room and we decided to start doing white men's caucuses 20 years ago, four days in a room together examining this often stuff that most of us as white guys have never thought about. What does it mean to be white? How is my experience in and out of work different than my colleagues of color? What does it mean to be male? And how is that different in and out of work? And what are the messages I've received around that that impact when I lead and how I lead and whether I lead inclusively? And we've discovered, you know, most of us discover, wow, I never thought about myself as part of a group. I 
I've never had to leave my white milk culture. So I know I'm not aware of the water I swim in as like a fish doesn't know water because I have the privilege of the cultures in my church, my business, my schools. I have the least awareness of that. And others are fitting into this culture and conforming to it. And I don't even know that. I just say, I don't see color. I don't see gender. I just treat everybody the same. And I don't know that um, my intent being in equality, the impact of that is that they feel like they have to fit in and leave part of themselves at the door. Mm-hmm. And so all of this learning happens for us as white men and we become more aware of, oh, I've been hiring and I've been promoting and I've been mentoring people to be like me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know that because I equate the white male culture with being a good human or being a good American. And so being able to sort out those cultural blind spots that I have um, actually, you know, frees me up to become stepping out of those culture too. I'm, I don't know if you're wondering what some of those traits are of white male culture, or we think of them as like the, the rugged individualism, don't ask for help. You know, if you ever guys don't ask for directions when they're lost, um, it's not okay to say, I don't know. The tendency to be focused on action, fixing, problem solving, jump right into action. And sometimes we don't listen because we're focused on fixing something. All those kinds of traits, the ability to disconnect emotionally because we think uh, being rational and being emotional are sort of an either or. And other cultures don't do that. So those, those are sort of the water that we swim in and that we end up um, making other people swim in, we don't even realize it. So that's a little bit about the background of why white men. And so, so we're in this really interesting, unique time where with the Me Too movement and all of these, I mean, the insane number of stories coming out right now, it seems like there's a culture of, let's just shove it under the rug and get on with business. Let's just pretend it's not happening. Yeah, yeah. And and as a woman, you know, yes, me too. Um, but but there clearly there's there's this whole world of something. What don't they get? What don't company leaders understand about this? Like, how is this happening? Mm. Well, you know, it's there isn't a there is a sense of a lot of white men saying, <clears throat> what's really happening with these rich white men who run media and you know and are they just sort of like corrupt with power and not really realizing no this is just the tip of the iceberg this is like the stuff that has been happening for years not just at the high but top levels the the statistics on harassment of women say the most um the places that happens the most are hotels and restaurants, women who work at all levels, not just the top of the level. And that that's, you know, if you look at the stats, almost 20% of women in the US are raped. And it's men that are doing that. And so what's the, what's the culture that we grow up in as men that has taught us to objectify women as sexual objects, to rape women, to talk about women with each other, to you know, feel like we have some um, ability to dominate or, pr- or or just sort of like assume we can take what we want or do that objectification in a way that, you know, there's one one guy 
um, in one session said, we don't have that problem in our country, which was a Scandinavian country. Really? And an HR woman the next day said, I couldn't sleep last night. <laughs> I actually had to take a male and fire him because he had a scale in his office and he was requiring women to stand on the scale and charting their weight on the thing. And, you know, our question was, what's the 10 years before he did that, his on-ramp of behaviors that ramped him up to actually do that? What's the, what, what are all the unique things that he felt the freedom to do around objectifying women or um, all that? And so it's like, we don't realize it's like, what's the, what's the Weinstein part of me? What's yeah. the, even the Donald Trump part of me, you know, the, the comments that he was caught on tape. It's not like it's out there and it's bad. It's like, you know, I spent time in a fraternity in college. I spent time growing up and receiving messages around um, scoring with women, objectifying women and stuff. And so, and what's the, you know, <clears throat> for instance, in one company now, um, there was a, a conference meeting going on and a woman was walking by outside through a glass window and one guy made a comment about her. The other guy said, I'm not comfortable with you making that comment. I don't like that. And Way to go, dude! She <laughs> yeah, didn't even know that happened, but yeah. he had her back. But he also had the other guys back. And so... Mm -hmm. What do we as men collude with in each other? And how do we gain all that bantering that we do as men is usually to connect, but, and we gain status. And if you, I know another guy who called another guy on inappropriate gender joking and emails, he was kicked out of the golf club. So there's a perception amongst guys that you're going to be um, kicked out of the club if you challenge the club. And yet, um, we need to make it so that guys gain status with each other by challenging, again, the burden for educating white men typically has fallen to women around gender. And so how do we as men step in in our role of challenging and supporting each other, both on a consciousness, awareness, and an intervention like that conference room incident when something inappropriate happens? So you don't have to sit there as a woman fuming, saying, am I going to say something? And if I do, will I be seen as having a chip on my shoulder? Yeah, and you're the problem. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah you, you, and when a guy does that, it's a way of using our privilege honorably. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. We don't have, um, we have male privilege. We have ways of, we don't have people look at us and think we got our job because of affirmative action. Um, we don't have, you know, we can do the same behavior that a woman does, and it may be assertiveness, and we're called assertive leader, strong, passionate leader, and the woman may be called a B word, you know, mm -hmm. and that's been shown in studies over and over. There's like this narrow gap for you because you're expected to be strong and nice at the same time, and we as men are socialized just to have to be strong and assertive mm -hmm. and things. So we don't understand the complexity of that world that you're swimming in and all those different expectations. And, and, and for us to partner better with you as women, we need to understand how you are expected to assimilate into male culture and what happens when you do the double bind that you're put into. So there's a lot of complexities there for us to sort out and understand.
Yeah. It, to be fair, um, and, and, and sort of explore this a little more fully, um, uh-huh. on the other side of things, I think um, we do, we're having these conversations, and, and I hear a lot of my, my female colleagues and friends saying, listen, men, be quiet listen to us just be quiet and listen now's not the time for you to be talking um and i i almost feel like this isn't this that is important men should be listening but this isn't just a male thing we as women need to also understand the dynamic and the social norms around being male because there's a whole world you're talking about in that culture where you know, you're not allowed to have that emotion. You're not allowed to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. perhaps we need to free some of that up as well. Absolutely. You know, the, we, um, one of our cultural strengths or cultural traits is that action-oriented, fix-it, problem-solving mindset. Mm-hmm. We think we have value to the degree we're fixing things, you know. Right. So that's why you and other spouse tell, probably tell those that are heterosexual, tell, tell them real spouses, you know, I don't want you to fix this. I just want you to listen. You know, you, you really, because we overuse the fix it muscle yeah. and underutilize the just listen. We don't get that listening actually counts as an action. <laughs> it yeah. means we still have value when we're just listening, you know. But, um, you know, to your other point, women um, often assume that we as what, as men know, we are privileged and that we just don't care. We're just hoarding our power. Mm-hmm. So you attribute negative intent. You know, mm-hmm. we had a, mm-hmm. a white woman walked into a session we were doing with her boss and she came up to the, one of us and said, my boss is here. He's a white guy. And I'm really glad because he really needs this. And then midway through the break, she came up and sheepishly said, you know, I realized I have a lot of work to do too around uh, mine. Mm-hmm. You know, so what are your assumptions that you make about white men and our intent um, a lot of times you give us more credit. We're not mean, we're just clueless. We don't see our privilege. We don't see that others are having to fit into our world. But you're right, we live in a, a prison, basically a culture that we don't realize is a culture. is like a box that we just have an autopilot on. You know, it's not okay to ask for help. It's not okay to be too emotional. It's uh, not okay to have deeper relationships with other men and ask personal questions. You have to go fishing together instead. And <laughs> that, you know, so yeah. to have those cultural strengths because they're not bad traits and to be able to step out of the culture, maybe I want to ask for help sometimes or be able to say, I don't know the answer to that. Or be able mm-hmm. to ask for, ask to have deeper connections with my colleagues or look at each other's resources for help. You, you know, know it, it's one of those yeah. gilded prisons, isn't it? Right? Like it's a prison, yeah. but it comes with a lot of benefits. Let's well, not, I mean, you know. <laughs> yes, it's both and, you know, so yeah. um, it, it is a benefit. In fact, around these conversations around gender and sexual harassment, one of my privileges is to sit back and not say anything. And a lot of men are in fear today because of all this stuff hitting the media saying, well, I can't say a word because. I'm going to get dragged to ethics or HR. I'm going to get mm-hmm. fired if I do one thing wrong. And organizations need to create a place for learning. Organizations need to create a place for dialogue and not make it a, it's not a quick fix. You know, yeah. we don't, 
like do training on safety or quality one time and call it good. And this diversity and inclusion stuff is a long time journey. It's, it's about, um, we connect it really importantly, Susan, with leadership. And so, you know, how can I have different kinds of leadership skills that I um, have the courage to be vulnerable and transparent about what I'm learning, what I don't know. I have the courage to be in my head and heart at the same time, which some employees need that. And I have the ability to be able to sit with messy, complex ambiguity and have tough conversations, sort out my intent and my impact for learning around partnership with others. That is a messy place that a lot of white guys aren't used to. Mm -hmm. We want to know the wallet card of the 10 things to say and not say around diversity. We want to take out all the uncertainty. And yet today's business world is messy and complex and constantly changing. So the skills that we need for effective diversity partnerships across gender are exactly the same skills we need for today's messy, complex, changing business world too. So if we grow those skills in diversity conversations, we can then use them in other parts of the business as well. So, so let's, let's get, a, so, so someone's watching right now, they own a business, um, they're an executive in a business, and they're wondering if they're doing the right things to ensure that their company is inclusive, both on matters of gender and race. Um, how do they know what to do and what not to do? And to how, how did they become courageous and have the conversations that are difficult? Because I think I've heard people say, I am not going to touch that to topic, that conversation with a 10-foot pole, because we we oversimplify we you know label people so quickly and if i say the wrong thing i'm gonna be in the wrong territory and and so how do we ensure that we can have these conversations in a mm -hmm. safe space and and still open ourselves up and look because these are complex topics and yeah. every time i i read a conversation on facebook or with my friends i'm thinking oh my gosh there's so much that i I don't even think of, and I try really hard. I mean, it's deep, yeah. it's deep. So how do we know? How, how can business owners and executives yeah. really know, are they doing the right things and what else can they do? Well, and I've been doing this work for 20, 30 years and there's still pieces that I still am learning. Yeah. The more I know, the more I realize how much I don't know. Transgender is a whole newer area for me that I'm still learning about, and so, one thing I think, Susan, is to give yourself permission to be where you're at. Don't feel like, you know, I'm the leader. I'm supposed to have all this diversity stuff figured out. No, give yourself permission to be clear on some of it, confused by some of it. And the more you can actually be transparent about that, the more it gives permission to all those that work for you to be honest, transparent about their confusions too. And mm -hmm. so let's come up with some learning environments together um, that are provocative and think in, in, in ways where, you know, for, for white men who are leaders, we need to reflect more on what it means to be white and male and for many heterosexual and what are we live, what world are we living in that we don't deal with things that others deal with on a daily basis. And I can be open and transparent about, wow, I'm still learning about that. You know, we had a, one of our, um, clients, Rockwell Automation, we've been working with some of them for 10 years now. Uh, Lee Shantz, one of the senior VPs of sales there, you know, he was at one of the big conferences that they are at. He talked to women about, 
the women in their industry. And he said, you know, we are just starting this learning, this journey about gender. And we realize we don't have a clue about what women experience in our industry, that it's so male dominated. There's things that have been happening that are inappropriate. There's things that we uh, don't intervene on that we need to intervene on and we miss it and we've got blind spots. And, you know, after that session, he had like 30 women run, come up to him and give him their business card because they said, we've never heard anybody talk authentically about women in this industry, which is an industrial automation and that for them. And we want to work for you because you're wow. smart because you're yeah. actually trying to figure it out. They recently won the Catalyst Award this year for their journey uh, of doing a lot of work. And one of the things that the Catalyst did some research on these white men that did these four-day labs that we do. And um, coworkers noticed four months after the lab that those guys listened 33% more. Hey, so, <laughs> progress. There you wanted listening, just listen to us, you know. Um, guys practice the listening skill a lot in those four days and, you know, We've actually gotten companies that have had wives send thank you notes. I don't know what you did to my husband, but I don't want the old husband back. He listens to me differently, listens to my kids more. And so there's a lot for men to benefit and white men to benefit from this journey. It's not about only helping women or people of color. It's like, wow, we gain a lot in this process. We have deeper relationships with, with each other. We have deeper connections with our kids. We understand our spouses worlds as women that they're in for us and there it goes on and on but um that i would say to leaders be transparent uh continue to be in your learning journey and give yourself permission to be in a learning mode and there's lots of books there's lots of resources out there video clips things like that that can help provoke your reflection wonderful wonderful well, we're going to have a link to your website in the show notes for today so people can find you and if they need help. And it sounds like a lot do, no doubt. So Yeah, and what I think uh, one possibility is to just watch the TED Talk I gave last May. It's uh, white men, time to discover your cultural blind spots and have a conversation with some of the people around their reactions to that because it, it'll give you a burst. Or even this, this podcast, talk to some of your colleagues about what you heard and um, that's a way to start that reflection process yes yes share this show right on <laughs> we're yeah. actually going to link to that ted talk and the, the cards they'll be up here uh in the screen okay. for viewers so that we um we make it easy for people to find it and we'll also have some resources in the show notes for today michael thank you so much for joining me and talking about this topic Thank you for having me. Really, really appreciate it. Thank Very you. interesting. Viewers, thank you so much for watching. Look in the show notes for all your resources. We'll see you next time. This has been twoquestions.tv. To subscribe to our YouTube channel, learn more about the show, the guests, and our host, Susan Barancini Mo, visit us at www.twoquestions.tv.